Somebody make some Holy Ghost noise. Woo. Oh, come on. That sounds like ball game noise. I said make some Holy Ghost noise. Woo. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, somebody shout like you've been delivered. Shout like you've been set free. Woo! Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, I was thinking about when they, they were singing that song a while ago, Do Not Pass Me By. You know, it's, I don't know how you act when I'm trying to get somebody's attention, but I know what I do. When I'm trying to get somebody's attention, I'm not just going to stand there and Better wake up from that Sunday afternoon nap. We'll scare you out of it or we'll shout you out of one of the two. Hey, I'm over here. I wonder if there's somebody tonight that just say, hey, Lord, don't pass me by. Woo, I'm over here. I need a miracle. I need a blessing. I need a breakthrough. I need you to do something for me. Come on, somebody make some noise. Woo, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. First Kings chapter 17. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pretend tonight like I was upstairs and the Lord uh, spoke fresh revelation to me. God gave me this when I was 13 years old. And uh, when he gave it to me, Pastor Bradford, he told me to preach it as often as I could. And this afternoon I was praying about what to preach, asking the Lord. And I've got uh, notes scattered everywhere. And Old United messed my plans up yesterday of getting here a little early and uh, getting ready. Uh, but in spite of all of that, I, I do feel like uh, very strongly that the Lord uh, led me in this direction. And so I've preached from this for years. This is not something, again, this is not something new to me. Uh, the Lord gave me this a long time ago. However, I do want to preach with fervor and with zeal and with unction. The pastor was preaching just a few moments ago. And I promise I didn't just go through my notes and find something to preach, but this is what I feel in the spirit. So uh, this, you know, what makes me mad is when, well, there's a lot that makes me mad, but one thing that makes me mad is when the charismatics take stuff that God gave us and pervert it, and, and we get a stigma about these things and to the point to where we don't even use them anymore because that's charismatic. Let me just tell you something. They got it from us. There's a lot of stuff that's charismatic, that's really apostolic, and they just took it and perverted it and made it what they wanted it to be. But there's an apostolic application to it. And we're going to talk about one of those things tonight, and we're going to preach about it. I don't know how far through this we'll get, but we will get far enough to get the point across. How about it? First Kings chapter 17. Love you, Brother Bradford. Honor you today. Man, I'm going to tell you all what. He took me to a place. I, I'm chasing rabbits, I know, but it's fun. I got the mic. You don't. When you get the mic, you can do what you want to do. But he took me somewhere today, and we ate biscuits and gravy. My God, have mercy. I got it on my tie. I, I've been sitting over here smelling it, hoping to God I could taste it. It's the best thing I've ate in California, biscuits. And it was good biscuits and gravy. That, that's southern biscuits and gravy. Somebody help us, Jesus. So I give you honor today for introducing me to those biscuits and gravy on 24th Street. Hallelujah. Amen. That's, yeah, that's something to shout about. That's something to run the aisles, dance, 
Give me a praise break. We're talk, talking about biscuits and gravy. Hallelujah. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, everyone say the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Everyone say my word. I'll say it again like you really believe it. My word. My word. This is interesting. This is the first time we see Elijah, and he doesn't tell us God said. And again, I'm, I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable right here, but it's all right. Just let me, let me preach all the way through it. He says, according to my word, there shall not be no dew nor rain. I want to preach to us tonight on a simple thought entitled, I declare. Look at somebody and ask them the question, what are you going to speak tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Give you glory. Give you honor. There's nobody like you, Jesus. We worship you. God, you're so good. All power in heaven and earth is in your hand. We're asking you, Lord, right now to let your anointing flow through this house from the front to the back and side to side. Let the power of the Holy Ghost change us and challenge us. Help us, God, to do your will in this house. Let there be miracles, signs, and wonders that flow through this place tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in the name that's above every other name. God, in your name, the name that heals and delivers and sets free and makes a way where there is no way. We're asking you, God, work a miracle in this house for somebody. Put a miracle in somebody's mouth. In Jesus' name, I wish you'd just clap your hands right now and shout unto God one more time with a voice of triumph and with a voice of praise. Come on, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Come on, praise him for your miracle now. Shout for your miracle now. Dance for your miracle now. Give him glory now. Woo! Come on, I think we can do a little bit better than that. We're not just introducing a sermon. The Holy Ghost is here right now to give somebody a miracle. Come on, somebody shout to God with a voice of triumph and with a voice of praise. Woo! Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Amen. How many are ready to have Holy Ghost Church? Well, if you're not, you can go ahead and be dismissed because we're going to have Holy Ghost Church. Amen. If you're ready to have Holy Ghost Church, you can be seated. If not, go ahead and leave. No, I'm kidding. Stay there. Stay. Don't leave us. Amen. Elijah, the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead. He is a man distinct among the prophets. It is my opinion that it is Elijah and Samuel that probably hold the largest uh, resume of prophets of the Old Testament. And that is because of, lack of a better term, the backbone. You look at these two men and it is very evident that they are not men that will go along to get along. But they are men with a backbone that say, I know what you want to do, but I also know what God wants to do. And unfortunately for you, what God wants to do trumps everything else. I'm, I'm going to tell you, this ain't where I'm going, but let me just say this right, right now. What we need right now more than ever before is apostolic men and women with a backbone. 
Because I'm going to tell you what, the devil don't care what church you go to. He don't care how long your skirt is and how long your sleeve length is and how long it's been before you cut your hair or all of that stuff. What the devil cares about is he, can he walk all over you? Because it is possible to be saved and subdued all at the same time. The devil's not worried about you if you're not making waves in his territory. God is looking for somebody tonight that'll just get a backbone and look the devil in the eye and tell him, devil, you're not coming in my house. You're not coming in this church. You're not coming in my family. Not because the preacher said so, but because I say so. I'm the priest of my home. I'm a prayer warrior. I'm anointed by God. And you will not tear apart my family. You will not tear apart my home. You will not come against my mind. Oh, help me, Jesus. Now, I believe in this, but there's a lot of people, Brother Bradford, that are waiting on Pastor Bradford to come and grab them and tell them this is what you need to do and this is how you're going to have victory and this is what you need to tell the devil. I'm going to tell you something. That's powerful when you get it from your man of God, but when the devil shows up at 2 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning and Pastor's sleeping and nobody else is around, you got to have a backbone to be able to look the devil in the eye for yourself and it's personal relationship with God that gets you to a place to where the devil knows who you are. I'm preaching to somebody right now and telling you, thank God that you walk in obedience to the pastor, but there's gotta be a place that you get to to where pastor didn't tell you to pray, but you prayed until something happened. And pastor didn't tell you to fast, but you fasted until something broke. That's the kind of stuff I'm preaching about. I want the devil to know who I am. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are you? I'm afraid we got a lot of apostolic people that the devil don't know who they are. Pastor, I know. First lady, I know. But who are you? I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to have the kind of revival, and, and, and this is really two big ten box in one service, we're going to try anyway. But if, if you really want to have the kind of revival that God has for this church, you're going to have to figure out how to be a leader in your own home and on your job and at your school and, and so to the point that the devil knows who you are. We, we find Elijah shows up, and this is, this is the attitude that he takes. He, I, I believe he's sent by God. I believe he knows his appointment. But, but there's more to this story, and we're, and we're going to kind of tie some of this in with, with what we were talking about this morning, but uh, in just different formats, I guess you could say. But uh, Elijah, he has a backbone. He's called by God. He's anointed by God. And what's the purpose? Because a calling without a purpose is pointless. And so God gives him a, a purpose. And the purpose for Elijah is to tear down the belief systems of the day that Ahab is reigning. Now, who did they, who did they worship? What was the idolatry that was rampant in this moment in time? We can go to history and scripture and, and dig a little bit into Canaanite mythology and you will find that in the Canaanite hierarchy of idolatry that there was Dagon, there was Baal, Dagon uh, graduated. I don't know how God can graduate, but you, and, and this is some of that stuff you just don't have to trust me and go home and study. But, but Dagon graduates in Canaanite mythology and he becomes what they call the father God. Now don't leave me, y'all still with me. We're going, to, we're going to take our time and get through this. Now, the father god, his name is then changed to El, E-L. So you have the father god, El. 
then you have Baal upon the earth. So it is said that El would rule the heavens. Baal would rule the earth. And there was another god by the name of Mot. He was the god of death. And he ruled hell or the under earth. And the purpose of Elijah and his ministry is to tear this down so that truth can be preached and Israel would return to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so in our opening text, the first time Elijah shows up, he begins his ministry right off the bat with a prophetic word. According to the words that I am saying, there shall not be any dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. It ain't going to rain until I tell it to rain. There's not going to be any dew until I... I know I'm making some of y'all uncomfortable because y'all thinking I'm charismatic. I'm going to get to the apostolic part here in a little bit. But that's at the end. you got to stay to the end. Nudge somebody and tell them, stay to the end. <laughs> and, and, and so this, there is this hierarchy in their idolatrous world that is set up. And so Elijah shows up and his purpose is to tear this down. And, and, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, but he doesn't, he doesn't do that in 1 Kings chapter 18. He does that in 1 Kings chapter 17. Because when you begin, it's, it's evident throughout Scripture, it's evident when you study Baal uh, to find that he was the God of fertility and it was his purpose, it was his job as a God to make it rain and to make the grass grow and to make the trees bring forth fruit. And so uh, Elijah shows up and it is here that he makes a declaration of the power of the almighty God versus the power of Baal. And he says it's not going to rain, not because anybody else, but because I am a prophet of God and I'm walking with God and it's not going to rain, Baal, until I say so. He was literally speaking to the spirits of the day and saying you have no power here because there is a God that is greater than Baal. Now, I, I, again, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but just let me kind of spread out right here and tell you this before we go any farther, that you can't make declarations if you ain't got faith to back it up. You, you can't just go off saying stuff without the faith to believe that God can do it because I'm going to tell you what, your words are, not avail, are of none avail if you don't have any faith in the banking account when you swipe the card. But I'm telling somebody, if you'll speak with faith and if you have the faith as of the grain of a mustard seed, you can say into the mountain, be thou removed, and it has to get out the way. I'm telling somebody tonight that's been looking at things that are dead, twice dead, and plucked up by the roots uh, that it's time for you to start declaring uh, and speaking life uh, and speaking revival uh, all over again. This is... I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. This is a moment in time that Israel has backslid. And by this declaration, Elijah is saying, Ahab, I know that Israel has fallen short. I know that they went after false gods. I know that Israel is not where they're supposed to be with God. But by this sign, I am making a declaration that Israel is coming back home. By this sign, I am making a declaration that the backslider is going to repent. I'm preaching to a mama right now that your babies are out 
out there in the world. Maybe they're on a bar stool right now and you've given up hope. I've come to tell you on Sunday night, you need to open up your mouth and start speaking them back into the altar again. Start, I know it sounds crazy, but say it out loud. I'm looking for the day my baby's coming home. I'm looking for the hour that they pray back to. I'm looking for the phone call when I get that they're coming back to church. I know they said, after the Holy Ghost, I know they said they're not coming back, but by my words, by the faith that I'm speaking, my children are coming home. My grandchildren are coming home. My nieces. Come on, there's some backsliders out of this church that are right now sitting in their living room and they're waiting on you. The spirits that's holding them back begin to back up when you open up your mouth and begin to speak faith. When you start declaring it, I get me, the devil starts fighting harder than he's ever fought before. When you start speaking, and you say, well, you're not in the Bible. Speak those things that are not as though they were. Is that Bible? Speak those children that are not in the altar back into the altar. Say, well, you're telling me that I'm just going to say it and it's going to happen? No, that's not how this works because we've got this thing all mixed up and we think that just because I speak it, it should happen. That is charismatic. That's that blab it and grab it doctrine. But can I tell you tonight that that you don't get to the place and we we get it all mixed up and we think sometimes, well, I, I said in Jesus' name this problem had to go and it didn't disappear. Can I tell you that you don't get there until you have spiritual authority? And the only way you get through spiritual authority is to walk through spiritual warfare. You don't get that kind of power to speak it and all of a sudden it happen uh, unless you lay on the floor a couple nights and cry and pray. Uh, maybe sometimes it's months at a time uh, and the answer still hasn't shown up uh, but you got enough faith uh, that I checked yesterday uh, and they still wouldn't at church uh, but I'm praying again today uh, and if they don't come today uh, I'm going to be praying again tomorrow uh, and if they don't come tomorrow uh, I'm going to be praying again tomorrow. There's got to be something inside of you that says, I won't stop talking about it until I see it come to pass. I won't stop speaking it until I see it come to pass. I won't stop proclaiming until I see the promise. Somebody needs to throw their hands in the air right now and just start declaring some stuff uh, over some people that have left and gone uh, and they said, I'm not coming back. You need to start declaring it right now. Somebody clap your hands like you believe it just happened. So there's this process that begins to happen. He starts speaking, and then he has to live with the consequences of what he's spoken. We need another series, Brother Rock. Lord, I'm wanting to chase every rabbit that runs across this platform right now. 
But you can't just say stuff and then not have to deal with it. Because the Bible says that it stopped raining and the dew stopped falling and everybody's in a drought, even Elijah. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, Go to the brook that is called Cherith, for I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Everybody shout there. See, this is an issue with us because we're here, but we ain't there. We're at church, but we ain't at the place where God wants us to be. Because this is what happens when you get there. The ravens start showing up, and then the brook dries up. Now, God, this ain't how we had this worked out. I was shouting and dancing because ravens were showing up every day. This is a miracle. You didn't tell me that the brook was going to dry up. You see, God will send you to places where there's no water sometimes to find out, are you willing to stay even after the brook dries up? God will put you in a place to where things get uncomfortable. And, and yes, the raven will keep showing up. And yes, he'll keep bringing you meat and bread. But there won't be any water to drink because God wants to see, are you in it just until the brook dries up? Or do you really believe what God said? Because if you believe what God said, you keep staying there even after the brook that is dried up. Because it's after the brook is dried up that then God speaks and says, get up and go to Zarephath. God don't say that before the brook dries up. God says you stay here and you deal with the situation and you learn how to live by faith until the brook is dried up and then I'll give you the next place to go. See, this is living for God in general. God never tells you the next place to go until this place, until the doors are closed up. There, if, if you could put it like this, if you'd allow me to put it like this, sometimes in the hallways of life, we shout over, God opens doors that no man can close. But guess what? That same scripture says, God closes doors that no man can open. And there's a lot of times when you're walking by faith and you're learning how to operate in the prophetic utterances of God and, and you're learning how to lead your family and you're learning how to walk behind the pastor and walk in obedience, that a door will close and then you get frustrated because you shake every door handle and nothing opens and you're stuck in the hallway for a little while. Ooh, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody right now. And it's frustrating in this time of living for God when you're in the hallway and there's no doors open and there's no water in the brook. I thought you said we were going to see the miraculous and here we are. This isn't fun. This isn't what I had in mind. Okay, now that I found out that you're willing to stick even though the brook dried up, can I just say this? Can I just be me tonight? Are you sure? You're positive because you might not like it. Just because the economy gets bad, you're going to jump and run the church, run from the church that God set you in just because the brook dried up? Oh, I'm preaching better right now than I've preached all month. You, you really think there's no problems anywhere else? I, hey, listen, I live in the South. <laughs> there's money problems in the South, too. There's people losing their jobs there too. You got to learn how to go where God sets you. All right, listen, y'all don't like it. You can get, I, look, I'll preach something different Tuesday night. We'll try it again. But when God sends you there, there is nowhere else in the world 
that the, the raven's going to show up to feed you. I don't like that brook. I like this brook better. Yeah, but the raven's not showing up at this brook. And there might be more water here. Oh, help me, Jesus. And, and they might, it might look a little deeper and a little wider, and it's a better stream, but the raven's not showing up there. And I, I, I don't know what you believe, but this is just what I believe. I don't believe that God was just giving uh, the prophet roadkill. I believe that that raven was going by the king's house every day and getting a sack lunch and bringing it to the prophet. God's not going to give you his second best if you learn how to get there and stay there and understand that God sent me to this place and until God tells me to move, I'm not moving from this place. The brook might dry up. I might not feel anything. I might not see anything, but the raven's still showing up. And as long as the raven keeps showing up, that means that God wants me here and when he wants me to go to Zarephath he'll speak to me and send me to Zarephath but until then I'm going to keep on speaking the word of God I'm going to keep on believing what my pastor preaches I'm, I'm going to keep on declaring life I'm going to keep on declaring victory I'm going to keep on declaring a breakthrough See, I told you some of y'all wasn't going to like it. Then he says, can I preach the story? Do I got time tonight? Can we take our time? He says, go to Zarephath. He goes to Zarephath, finds the widow woman. You know the story. She says, getting ready to, I, I'm, I'm just to cook me and my boy some bread, and we're going to die. Make me a cake first, huh? Don't act like you ain't never had a huh in your spirit before. Huh? Pastor gets up and preaches and says, do this. Huh? What'd you say? I don't know if that's a good idea. You see, this is all I got left. That's all God needs. He don't need what you don't have. He just needs what you do have. And so make me a cake first. And she goes and she makes him a cake. And you notice... It, Pastor, if you're looking at it right there, it'll read like this, that her and her whole household did eat after obedience to the man of God. Isn't that something? Her and her son are fixing to eat and die post uh, pre-obedience. Post-obedience, her and her whole household did eat. Many. Ooh, boy, I wish I had time to preach this. Pre-obedience, I've got this idea of we've got just enough to make, can I just preach like we're in 2022? I've got just enough money to make it stretch, but I'm, I'm going to give in the offering anyway. Post-obedience, the IRS starts calling. Where's he at? He's usually over there. He ain't there no more. Where'd he go? There he is. Yeah, IRS starts calling. Pre-obedience. I've got just enough to make this work. But post-obedience, God says, watch what I do with all that little bit you got. And I will turn it around and I will work it out for your good and it will blow your mind and you will not even be able to contain the blessing that I have for you. And it's not just for today and for tomorrow, but until the drought is over, until the economy comes back to the way it's supposed to be, until recession is over, I'm going to keep take care of you 
if you keep on taking care of me. That's just the way it works with God. If you start declaring some stuff, God will keep on making a way where there is no way. But that's not the whole story. That ain't even what I'm trying to preach about this woman. The woman has a son, and the son dies. And the Bible says that Elijah takes the boy, and he lays him out on on the bed. And he begins to pray, and nothing happens. First time. He prays again, and nothing happens again. Well, that's frustrating, isn't it? Elijah. The guy that said it's not going to rain until I say so and it ain't rain. Prayed and nothing happened. And you thought you were all by yourself. The guy that's been living and walking with God prayed. I I, I know some of y'all are uncomfortable right now, but we're going to get there. I promise. I know it's Sunday night. We're going to shout in a minute. Just hold on. Hold your horses, Mary. He's prayed and nothing's happening. That's where we are. That's where I am. That's where you are. I've been asking God and God hasn't been working for me. So what do I do? The Bible says that he keeps on praying until something begins to happen. There is death. There is destruction. It's over. There's no life in the boy's body. But can I tell you that one declaration from one preacher brought that boy back to life again. I I was about eight years old. As a matter of fact, it was the first revival my dad preached as a full-time evangelist. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I, I was sitting on the back road just being a little evangelist kid and, and you know, doing what evangelist kids do. And, and my dad preached. And I remember very vividly what he preached that night by his title. I don't remember the whole sermon content, but I do remember he preached uh, silver and gold. Have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And, and I, I, he just preached uh, just a very simple message and people got the Holy Ghost and, and there was power that was falling in that place that night. And, and at the end of the service, Brother James Howe, or Jim Howe, sorry, uh, Brother Jim Howe got up to the platform, up on top of the, uh, up behind the pulpit, and he said, church, I need you to pray. Now, this is the pastor of the church, and about that time, Brother CJ, he fell dead with a heart attack. You talk about killer revival service. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to Tick Fall, Louisiana. You probably never heard of it. But it's so far back in the boondocks, they pump in sunshine. And it's, I mean, it's way back there. And they called 911, and they said, send an ambulance. The preachers died. There's no pulse, and he's not breathing. We think he's had a heart attack. He had been having some issues, some pain in his left arm uh, that he had not really been taking care of himself with. But anyway, and, and, and they said it's going to be about 30 to 45 minutes before anybody can get there. They said, we don't have 30 to 45 minutes. They said, well, it's just, I mean, that's how long it takes to get there. And so we did what any other apostolic church would do. We started praying. And about 20 minutes into praying, I watched my mama walk off the platform. And she walked back to that back pew. And I'm not telling you this to pin rows on me. I'm telling you what God did. She walked back to that, uh, that back row. And she grabbed me by the hand. And she told me these words. She said, baby, I know you don't understand what's going on right now. But when you were before you were even born, a preacher told me that the boy that was in my womb would see the dead raised to life again. And she said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have the faith, just 
excuse mama's fate. And we walked up to that platform. And I'll be honest with you, I was scared to death as an eight-year-old boy. And I remember looking at that corpse, that preacher that I loved and I appreciated and stayed in his home and knew that he had not breathed in over 30 minutes. His, his color was turning and he was dead. But I'm telling you that my mama looked at me and she said, I know this is going to be different, but stretch out your hand. And she gave me the bottle of oil and put it on my hands. And I can tell you that I prayed some souped up prayer. I wish I could. But all I can tell you is what I remembered my daddy preached that night. I laid hands on Brother Howell and said, silver and gold, have I none but such as I have? Give I thee. And in that very moment, the man opened his eyes and began to breathe again. You bragging on yourself? No, baby. I'm bragging on my God because he's a God that can take dead stuff and bring it back to life again. Somebody that's dealing with dead situations uh, needs to open up your mouth uh, and say, ye shall not die, uh, but live uh, and declare the works of the Lord. I had the honor of serving in Louisiana for a couple of years. And during that time, and, and we had a balcony in the church. There's this little boy. You, you, he, he, oh, he was a boy. Let's just leave it at that. He was one of them little boys. Wide open, 24-7. And he, we had a balcony in the back, and there was about, I don't know, 15, 18, somewhere in between their stairs going up to the balcony. And I remember being in the pulpit on a Sunday night preaching away and watching as that little boy walked right there to the edge. He's probably four or five years old and missed the first step. And Brother Bradford, he tumbled down all the way, end over end over end over end. And I, I did what I, I told him. I said, call the ambulance. This ain't good. The boy was laying at the bottom of the stairs in a mangled knot. Now, I'm, I, I've been around enough wrecks. That's a whole other story. I've been around enough necks to know Rex, to know that when somebody's laying like that, you don't move them. You don't touch them. But I know when I hear the Lord speak. And I, I was standing on the platform running to where he was. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, pick him up and lay him on the Bible. Now, I know if I pick that boy up and he's not dead, but his neck's broken, there's a good chance I'm fixing to kill him. But God spoke. See, I, I done lost some of you right now. You done unplugged. Yeah, here we go. I'm telling you, he's still the God of the miraculous. Because all I knew to do was the same thing that happened last time. Because we looked and there was no breath. And they, they started checking. There was no pulse. And they, it's 15 minutes or so before the ambulance is going to get here. And, 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 and this time, I didn't think about it for a while. But somewhere down the road, in that 15 minutes, I started thinking, if he did it before... He can do it again. Silver and gold. Have I none? But such as I have, give I thee. I'm just crazy enough to tell you and believe that God did it again. And I'm just crazy enough to tell you right now that if you're dealing with death situations in your world, if you can open up your mouth and start, it may sound crazy at first, but just start speaking life. Silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you today, 
It might be dead, but he's the God that raises the dead. It might be impossible, but these things which are impossible with man are possible with God. I'm trying to encourage you tonight and get you to realize that there's power when you open up your mouth and begin to speak with faith. It don't matter how dead it is. God is able. God is able. God is able. I'm preaching to people tonight that are dealing with hopelessness. He's able. I'm preaching tonight with people that have came to church service in and service out and you've gave up and you don't pray those prayers anymore because it's been so long since you've seen a miracle. It's been so long uh, since you got some kind of confirmation uh, that that dead thing uh, is coming back to life again uh, and you feel like Elijah, I've prayed uh, and nothing has happened. Pray again, honey, uh, because maybe this time when you pray, uh, maybe this time when you speak life, uh, maybe this time uh, when you quote scripture, uh, maybe this time when you praise him in advance maybe this time when you dance about it and it hadn't happened yet God will come down and work how do you know I know I know what logic says logic says well I've done that before and it didn't work how do you know that this isn't the time that will work logic and, and carnality says that You've prayed that prayer and God hadn't answered it yet, but, but faith says this is the time. This is, this is my opportunity. This is the night that I'm going to get a breakthrough. This is the night that my dead situation's coming back to life again. This is the time that God's going to work. So Elijah, we're, we're, we're still bouncing through the life of Elijah, and I know I'm bouncing around a lot right now, but we'll tie it all together here in a minute. There he is. Another major situation that happens very shortly after this, 17 and 1, he says, no dew, no rain. 17 and 17 through 43, I think it is. He says, he brings the boy back to life again. Now we, we turn from chapter 17 to chapter 18, and God tells him, go to Ahab. And this is all about to wrap up. This is about to be over. And Elijah, the Tishbite, goes on top of Mount Carmel. I'm just, I'm trusting that you know the story tonight. I don't have time to preach it all the way through. Goes up on top of Mount Carmel and says, let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And so there is this issue that ensues from here. They begin to pray to Baal. But again, I, I, I want you to trust me. And if you don't trust me by now, please, please just go home and study it for yourself. But I want you to understand, I'm not taking you out of the word of God. But I'm, I'm preaching to you literally what happened and what their belief system was. They would pray to one God to pray to another God. They had a hierarchy system. And so they would pray to Baal because Baal was the God of rain, but he was not the God of fire. Go study Canaanite mythology. El was the God of fire. So they would pray to Baal to pray to El. That sounds like other religions I've heard of. Pray to one thing to pray to another. I'm going to tell you this. When I say Jesus, that's it. 
I don't have to pray to Peter. I don't have to pray to Paul. I don't have to pray to Mary. I just pray to Jesus. And when I speak his name, demons tremble when I speak his name. Sickness begins to be abated when I speak his name. There's power in the name of Jesus. So they would pray to one God to pray to another God. Baal, would you please go tell your daddy? Send down fire. And, and Elijah begins to tease him. Maybe, maybe Baal's sleeping. Maybe he's in Hawaii. Maybe, I don't know, he's on vacation. Maybe his phone's down. This was back before cell phones, so they had landlines back then. <laughs> maybe a tree fell across the landline. He's not answering his phone. There's some interesting stuff here, though. Elijah tells him, Let, let's, let's go up here and you sacrifice at the morning sacrifice and I'll sacrifice at the time of the evening sacrifice. But what's interesting is he's a prophet, but he's not a priest. And under the Old Testament law, in order to do these kind of sacrifices on these altars, especially on top of Mount Carmel, you had to be a Levite, not a Tishbite. But can I tell you, if you'll put yourself out on the limb, God will put himself out on the limb. If you'll have faith, God will, in God, God will have faith in you. And so Elijah the Tishbite, I don't know, maybe he didn't know exactly how it was all supposed to be set up. He starts setting the stones. The Bible said he repaired the altar. And there's a whole other message in that that I don't have time to get into. But he repairs the altar and he lays the bull on top and he, he takes all the water and he puts it all on, it, on top of it. And, and there is this deal happening here where God is transitioning him. He begins to walk in the best of both worlds. He has heard and saw God through the form of a seer. He is a prophet. He is a seer, the Old Testament term. He's heard from God, but now he's getting ready to see behind the veil as a prophet he's heard God say things but now he's getting ready to see the fire fall because he's transitioned and he's learned how to speak those things that are not as though they are I understand Elijah had a complex that he could be on the mountain today and on the valley tomorrow but there was something about him that never stopped speaking he could be in a cave wishing to God he wasn't alive but that didn't stop him from saying, thus saith the Lord. It doesn't matter how bad your situation is. This is not depicted by your situation. Whatever's going wrong in your world, this isn't bothered by it. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. Open up this book. There's a whole lot to say in this. And whatever you're going through, you can find something to begin to declare. In the middle of the storm, you can declare peace. In the middle of chaos, you can declare joy because it's the word of God. It is the living word. And it continues throughout all time. Elijah, you know the story. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. There are 400 prophets that are slain that day. He transitions out of pre, uh, prophets, shoes of the prophet, into the shoes of a priest. Now, there's something spiritual that is happening here. Remember how when we first started, I started talking about how Elijah's purpose is to tear down Canaanite mythology. Well, it's interesting to me that these three major things that have happened, if you follow along, chapter 17, verse 1, when, there's, when he said there's no rain and there was no rain, it was in that moment he took authority over Baal. Not in 18, not in chapter 18. The authority came and was, and, and was put on display because it didn't rain. 
He didn't have to wait until 18 to show he had authority. They knew he had authority the whole time. It ain't raining. See, in 17 and 17 through 23 or, or, or 43, that he raises the, pro, uh, the woman's uh, son back from the dead. Now, this is interesting because he's worked in the earth in its area of lordship. He took dominion over Baal. Now he's transitioned and he has took dominion over the underworld. Remember how I was talking about earlier the god Mott, the god of death? He's took dominion over that. And then he transitions again. And he, he takes dominion over the heavens when he calls down fire out of heaven. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Dagon could not do it. Now what's interesting about this is Elijah is one of the two that is seen with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that is important because here we see that the, the mantle shifts from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It is, it is evident that Elijah works in the earth, then he works in the under earth, and then he works in the heavenlies. And that is the same thing that happens when Jesus begins to walk on the earth. He, talk, he takes dominion and authority in the earth. He he cleanses the leper. He opens the blinded eye. He unstops the deaf ear. He does all of those mighty things. And then the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, now that he ascended, but he first descended, first into the lower parts of the earth. It is here that Jesus does like Elijah. He works in the earth. He goes and takes dominion over death, hell, and the grave. And then the Bible says that he's alive and he's sitting at the right hand of God and Elijah made declarations so Jesus made declarations he made declarations that like stuff like greater things than these shall ye do because I go into my father he made declarations like if you pray in my name I will do it Say, I don't have power to speak. Uh, yes, you do, friend. Uh, Jesus gave you the power to open up your mouth uh, and speak the things that are not uh, as though they are. Jesus gave you the power uh, to look the devil in the eye uh, and say, you're not getting my children uh, and you're not getting my marriage. Uh, Jesus gave you the power uh, when he was hanging on the cross. According to the book of John, the last thing, y'all musicians, come help me. I'm, I'm closing According to the book of John, the last thing that Jesus would say as he takes his last breath is, it is finished. It's the Greek word, telos. It has importance and it has power because at his last moment in life, he's making his final declaration. He says, telos, it's over. It's where we get the translation, it's finished. You have to understand, though, there's more going on here. Because Jesus is living in a world that worships idols. Lord, I wish I had time to preach this all the way through. The Romans, the Greeks, they, they, they worship idols and this all plays into this. And I don't have time to get into all of that, but I will tell you this. Is that there's a, a, a meaning to this word telos to a Roman soldier that doesn't mean the same thing to everybody else. It doesn't mean it in the Hebrew language. Matter of fact, it was before Jesus was ever born. Come here, Brother Katie. Come help me. Before Jesus was ever born, this, this practice was put into place. Lay down. I love you, son. You're awesome. Mama, Daddy, y'all got anything we want to do right now while we got him here? Okay, go ahead. 
But this was a practice that was common before Jesus was ever born. Julius Caesar, the merriest mules. I don't have time to get into that, but they were, they were the strongest in the kingdom. And they were absolutely wreaking havoc in the world. And it was said that when they would conquer a city, they would capture the king, bring him up on top of a hill. You get to be a king for like three seconds, dude. Lay him out in front of all the women and the children and the old men. And, and, and the centurion over that band would put his foot on his chest and he would look him in the eye and he would take his sword and he would cut his head off. And with that moment, the army would shout, Telos! Translated, it's over. But to a Roman, it literally meant, we win. And I can see Jesus. Boy, this is so good. I love this stuff. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he's got his arms stretched. And he's looking over into hell. And remember, there's a Roman centurion standing right there. And he's looking the devil in the eye. And with his last breath, it is telos. And we translate it as it's over. But literally, by the Romans' own vernacular, he was looking into hell and saying, I win. You, you thought this was over? He was making it with his last breath. He was making a declaration of victory so that you could open up your mouth. And when your back was against the wall and you didn't have anywhere to go, you could look the devil in the eye and do what Jesus did and say, I win. It, it might look like I'm fixing to throw in the towel, but it ain't over because I'm promised if I hold on, I'll have victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? I can tell you where it's at. Jesus got it. He took dominion over the grave and over death. So that you could come to church on a Sunday night with everything going wrong. I would say being put on a cross by the people you love and care about and you came to save, that's a bad situation. Ain't got, that's bad. You think you got it bad. And he could still look into eternity and speak. I went, and the Roman centurion hears that and says, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but that guy, is who he said he is. Because when he heard the words, victory, we win. And he felt the ground begin to shake. He recognized there's something to this guy. I was in Louisiana. I'm, one more story. I'm done. I'm closing. Just stand with me. If, if, you, if you're not standing, stand with me. I'm, I'm done. But I was in Louisiana one night and I was preaching about, I, I love this subject and there's, there's so much in it and I could preach a whole 15-part series right now on it, but I'm not going to. Uh, but I, I was teaching about the power of life and death. The Bible says it's in your... This ain't charismatic. This is apostolic. I was teaching on it, and, and somewhere in that teaching service, 
it started out, I had that cool little headset on, and, you know, I'm just walking around with that uh, PowerPoint, pushing my buttons with my laser. And the Holy Ghost came in that place. And I'm telling you, people started saying stuff that was beyond, it was coming out of their mouth before it even entered their mind. I don't know if you've ever been in one of them situations, but I, I'm telling you, when you operate, when you get to a place where you're operating in the prophetic and the prophetic's flowing, that, that spirit begins to move and God begins to speak things out of you and you don't even recognize what's coming out of you, but you just know it's Holy Ghost. Well, this was one of those services and I'm, I was standing in the pulpit and I, I, I told the church, I said, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I, I, I feel like God's going to give us an opportunity and I'm going to preach this Jesus name apostolic message in every Baptist church in this city and, there, and, and I'm going to preach it in the Presbyterians and the Methodists and, and the Episcopalians and, and the Catholics and they looked at me like some of y'all are looking at me right now. And I didn't think anything else about it. But I believed it. About a year goes by and I was in the church and my phone rang and, and I picked up the phone didn't recognize the number. He said, uh, Brother Phillips. I said, yes, sir. He said, this is Brother so-and-so from the Abbeville Association of Ministers. I didn't even know we had one of them. It's like, okay. He said, man, listen, we're, uh, we're putting together a service for Thanksgiving. It's going to be the day before Thanksgiving. And, and, and we thought about praise teams. And we asked, you know, we've heard your wife sing and love for her to come sing. Bring your praise team. Be a part of the service. And it's like, okay, no problem. He said, now, 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 I just, I need to warn you, he said, because I know how y'all Pentecostal folks are. He said, this is a multi-denominal service. And he said, uh, there's going to be Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodists, Catholics, and non-denominals, and they're all going to come together. We're all going to worship together. And I was like, okay, yeah, no problem, we'll be there. And what I was getting, I, the, the vibe I was getting was just, just, Keep it in check. And uh, I said, all right, well, we'll be there. And he says, oh, and by the way, he said, uh, the way we pick the preachers every year, he said, we have two preachers, and the way we pick the preachers is we put all the names of the preachers in the city in the hat. Two guesses in the first one don't count. He said, and would, would, would you come to that service and, and would you preach for us? I said, would I? And, and just watch what the Holy Ghost will do for you, Brother Brock. He said, the only thing, I knew it was coming. He said, the only thing we ask is that you stay within the confines of our theme. I said, oh, here it is. And he said, so I asked him, I said, well, what is our theme? He said, our theme this year is what our city really needs. I'm telling you, I walked into Pleasant Green Baptist Church, opened up my Bible to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and preached about the dysfunction that was in our city. I said, but what our city really needs is another dose of Pentecost. And I looked in the back and there was a deacon sitting there and I watched as his legs started moving. It wasn't long before he stood up. You couldn't do that in that church. But I watched and he started lifting his hand. About halfway through that deacon, and ran to the front, uh, threw up his hands, uh, and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost, uh, evidence of speaking in other tongues. Oh, it gets better. By the end of that service, 
13 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, if you're crazy enough to speak it, God's big enough to do it. We, we got to the end of that service, the Holy Ghost just had his way. And, and, and I... And the, the, the next pastor, it was actually the hosting pastor was supposed to preach. And I got happy and took more. They, they, they gave me 17 minutes. I can't say my name in 17 minutes. I preached like 35. But the Holy Ghost was working. He got up, said, let the church say amen. And he looked at me in front of that great host of people. Packed out wall to wall. Multi-denominations. He said, would you come back and preach for me on New Year's? I said, would I? <laughs> Walked in. New Year's Day. Sunday at 2 o'clock. Opened up my Bible to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come to find out that same deacon was there. He still had the Holy Ghost. I preached about 15 minutes this time. He jumped up and run to the front, got it all over again. 17 people got the Holy Ghost that day. It gets better. Don't shout yet. We ain't even to the shouting part. He told me in this pulpit, standing there, weeping, he said, Preacher, I want to thank you for coming and preaching the apostles' doctrine. He said, God re revealed to me Jesus' name baptism about two years ago, and I've been looking for somebody that would come and preach it to it. He said, from this moment on, we will never baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit again. From now on, we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. They kicked him out of the Southern Baptist organization because he went out on the wall and took Matthew 28, 19 down and put Acts 2, 38 up and then put Matthew 28, 19 under it and said, now I got a revelation of what it really means. Don't you tell me that God can't work if you open up your mouth and you speak it out. Now everybody here, Got stuff they're dealing with. It might, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I, I feel like something like that's getting ready to happen in Bakersfield. I, I, I ain't never said that before, but I just feel that. I feel like there's fixing to be a multi-denominal service somewhere around here, and the apostolics are going to break in, and Bakersfield's about to have explosive apostolic revival. Come on, somebody that believes it ought to shout about it right now. You ought to speak it out. You ought to speak it out. You ought to declare it with your voice. Shout it out. When 
what I want you to do right now is lift your hands. Come to the front, lift your hands, uh, and begin to just speak victory. Uh, Talos, devil, uh, I'm going to win over this. Uh, whatever your problem is, uh, I challenge you right now. Do what Jesus did. Uh, speak victory. Uh, speak victory. Uh, speak victory. Uh, speak victory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, that's it. Speak it out over your situation. Speak it out over your children. Speak it out over your finances. Yeah! 